My friend Marty Luther said, we shall never worry ourselves rich. Have you ever tried to do that? Worry yourself rich? Doesn't work. I mean, I've heard it doesn't work. I'm not saying that I've done that. I'm just saying I've heard that it doesn't work. He said, we shall never worry ourselves rich, but we can actually worry ourselves sick, mad, and foolish. Can I get an amen? Okay, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, Luther's point, this is, you know, five over 500 years ago. His point is pretty clear, and I think it's, we can all resonate with it. We can't worry ourselves rich, but when we do worry, we actually cause ourselves a lot more heartache than we already have. Of course, we know that everyone struggles with worry and anxiety from time to time. Mostly about financial issues, physical health concerns, but also it could be family problems, issues at work, issues at school. We worry. We get, we get that uneasy feeling in our stomach. We get sweaty palms. We have sleepless nights. Deep down, We know we weren't made to be worriers, though, and so we pursue solutions for worry. Did you know that estimates on the global market value for solutions for anxiety right now sit at $13 billion? That's how much the business of trying to cure worry is worth right now. $13 billion. I think that's probably a little low because it doesn't include things like alcohol sales and addictions to entertainment and other things that we also use to try to cure worry. I mean, everybody's trying to feel better. Deep down, we know we weren't made to be worriers. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, again, he's tackled a lot of different topics, right? We've covered a lot of different issues. And the most recent issue that he's tackled is issues about materialism and greed, our attitude towards money. Remember last week, we learned and he he taught us that we shouldn't be storing up treasures on earth, but we need to be storing up treasures in heaven. And so he, he wants you to shift your mindset from focusing on money and possessions to spiritual matters in the kingdom of God. And for some of us, there was that nagging kind of objection just lurking kind of in our hearts where we're going, well, wait a minute, hold on. If I don't store up treasures on earth, like how am I going to navigate retirement? How am I going to deal with, with this need or that need? If I'm not paying attention there and there's like an objection, well, Jesus, hold on. If we're, not, if we're not being careful about our finances, then we could get in trouble. And then that leads to, then, of course, the next problem. The fact is we, we worry about those matters. And for some of us, maybe for most of us, it's not even issues of retirement. It's just I got to pay this bill this month. I'm worried about that. Or what if this happens and what if that happens? And so the issue of our our perspective on possessions and money naturally leads into a discussion about worry and anxiety, because so often that's what we worry about. What we'll see here in this section of Matthew 6 is that Jesus will address the issue of worry, especially as it relates to financial worry, but he'll include a few other elements of worry in there. We'll see, of course, that this applies not only to worry about finances, but it applies to all the areas in our life where we struggle with anxiety. So I want to encourage you this morning to just, as we come into this text, to maybe ask the question directly, what do you worry about? What are you anxious about? Just get there in your mind. Okay, so just know this is, this is what's on my mind. This is what's bothering me. This is what's frustrating me. What do you worry about? What is keeping you up? And as you think about that, just remember that God has gifted you with this section of his word to help you navigate that worry. So let's get into the verses here and unpack what's going on. And and we'll hear from Jesus about how to deal with, with worry and anxiety. So we're picking it up in verse 25. And there we read, 
Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? If we track back up to the beginning of verse 25, when Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, that that word therefore, it's a special kind of connective that's used here to really have a strong link between what went before and what's coming. So he's just said, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't worship God and money. You should worship God, not money. But then immediately there's the issue of, well, what about money? What about my needs? And then Jesus says, therefore, because you can't worship both God and money, worship God. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. It's not an obvious conclusion. Because the fact is, if we're we're trying to just worship God and not be concerned about money, we might kind of back into worry or trip into worry. Jesus specifies the, the parameters here, though. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or about your body, about what you will wear. And then he closes the verse with basically like a a proverbial saying here. He says, isn't life, or a rhetorical question, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now he recognizes there's going to be, for some people, a very real struggle to, to worry about the immediate practical need like food. And in first century Israel, because, uh, you know, it's a pre-modern context, some, for, for many people, daily food was a concern. Like, where is my next meal coming from? For some people today, that's an issue, uh, but for not as many in our culture. And so the fact is, there, there are present urgent needs that are real needs that might cause us to worry. People also worried about clothing. And as we'll see, I, I don't think this is so much, do I have clothing, it's that, am I wearing stylish clothing? And I know most of you don't worry about wearing stylish clothing. Thank you for following the Lord on that. Now, oh, come on, people. Let's go. You're like, this is my Sunday best, Pastor Ryan. It's all I got. That's okay. The fact is, we can get wrapped up worrying about the immediate practical needs that we have. And we can get wrapped up you know, chasing and thinking about and being concerned with how we look, right? And our appearance and, and how that impacts uh, you know, our relationships. And Jesus says, listen, don't worry about those categories of issues. What does he mean by don't worry? Don't be thinking about them in a faithless way. Don't let them consume your focus so much so that you are uh, prevented from serving God and living for God. So while we can't always control what makes us nervous, right? Or what we might be concerned about, we can control how we respond to those issues, And so here Jesus says, you might start to think about that next meal or a financial need, like a real deal going on. Or you might be concerned that you're not up to style, right, with that that latest fashion or whatever and how people are going to laugh at you at work or at school or whatever. He says, but don't worry about that stuff. Why? Because life is so much more than food and clothing. Life is so much more than just this kind of scurrying about to, to look good for other people or the scurrying about to, to basically scratch the itch that we have at that moment. Of course, this connects back to last week. Life is more than money. Basically, it's one of the main ideas from last week. So if life is more than money, it's also more than just getting that next meal or having the right clothes. Well, what is it then? Well, there's more to it. There's a spiritual component to life. We were made for more than just the physical And in our culture, this is such an important lesson to learn, right? Life is more than the physical. Because we live in a culture where we tend to focus on the physical or the natural. We we live in a culture that is, in many ways, not 
not all the way, but in many ways, prejudiced against the supernatural. So if you say that you have religion, like, well, fine, you believe in God, but he doesn't really exist or he's a figment of your imagination. But if that helps you sleep at night, go get him, whatever. That stance is a stance or a posture that says only what can be seen is real. Only what can be scientifically measured is real. And because we can't see God or measure God scientifically, then it, it doesn't really count in reality. So do what you got to do, but that's not actually real. What's actually real is what we can see and touch. And Jesus here says, life is so much more than the physical. It's so much more than just what you can see or touch. And in many ways, we know that because we're reaching for something bigger. And as a culture, we're kind of grabbing at, well, what is there something transcendent or beyond just the, the physical? But in many ways, we've kind of just accepted the fact that, well, I guess if we can just try to satisf- satisfy ourselves with the physical. That's as good as it's going to get. So just keep buying Starbucks, keep going to Costco, and, and that'll be it, right? I mean, you're, you'll eventually be satisfied. Have you ever noticed that you're never satisfied after Starbucks and Costco? Or is that only me? I mean, it doesn't actually scratch the itch because life is about so much more than just food or clothing. Life is more than the physical, so much more. But man, it's easy to, to get caught up focusing on the physical. Now, let's, let's unpack maybe three different versions of anxiety or three ways you might struggle with anxiety just, just to, to help ourselves think clearly about it. The first I would categorize as anxiety over real needs, right? That's the daily bread issue. So having daily food is a legitimate need, right? That's a problem. Uh, Physical health issues. When you have physical health problems, you're thinking, what am I going to do about this problem I'm having physically? That's a real need. It's, It's an actual problem in your life. But we might worry about that in the sense that we might let fear in our imagination take over and not go to the Lord with it. But instead, we might get frantic, panic, right? And get obsessive over it and not trust the Lord with it. And so that's where an area where we might have anxiety over very real needs. We're not saying the need isn't real. Just saying, hey, there's a difference between recognizing that need and, and responding in faith versus just kind of internally uh, obsessing over it. A second category of anxiety is anxiety over material pursuits. These aren't real problems, but we make them problems. Keeping up with the Joneses, chasing fashion trends. Believe it or not, you will not die if you don't have the latest gene style. Okay, it's, it, that's, you're not, it's not going to kill you. But sometimes we act like it does. Sometimes it's that urgent. It's that important to us to chase the fashion trends. Um, Pastor Josh told me this morning that the internet tells us that uh, in the United States alone, we spend annually $42 billion on cosmetics. That's b- billion with a B, right? We must be one ugly country. $42 billion a year on cosmetics, trying to look good. Trying to, trying to look good, leveraging our finances and our energy and thinking about it, right? Wanting to look good. That's, that's not a legitimate need. Like God made you how he made you. And that doesn't mean you don't look good. It just means that you don't have to conform to the way everybody looks on these magazines, which by the way, that's all computer generated anyway. Those are robots. They're not real people, right? <laughs> So we can kind of free ourselves from that. So, and sometimes our, our anxiety comes from material pursuits that we want the same car that the neighbors have, or we want the, the, the backyard fence or the pool that they have. We, you know, it's like we're trying to keep up and we're, we're kind of working ourselves into a frenzy over issues that aren't really problems. Sometimes that's where anxiety comes from. There's a third category 
It's anxiety over imagined threats. This is not anxiety over a real problem or even just a material pursuit. This is the, like, I might get struck by lightning, so I'm not going outside, right? That issue. I could get in a car accident, so I'm not going to drive. Like, it's like the statistical likelihood is really low that that's going to happen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that cause me to get the sweaty palms and, and drive me to a place of concern and worry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obsess over it, and it's going to cause me to change my behavior and, again, again, prevent me from trusting the Lord and doing what he's called me to do. I'm sure there are more ways we struggle, but those are just some of those general categories that I think we can all relate to in one way or another. Now, again, we can't necessarily control what makes us nervous, but we can respond to our circumstances with faith. And the fact is, life is more than food. It's more than clothes. It's more than your house or your phone or what the kids at school think of you or what the neighbors think of you. Life is so much more than that. We we have been called to live for God's glory and his kingdom right now, which means we don't have to worry and obsess about all the others. Now, I'm saying that Jesus has started, off, started us off there, verse 25, but Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He says, don't worry. That's a big calling, right? But then he tells us why we don't have to worry. This is the heart of the argument here. Watch verse 26 as Jesus gives us two examples to prove this point about why we shouldn't worry. Basically, he says we shouldn't worry because our king cares for us. Watch the first example, verse 26. Jesus says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? The presumed answer to that rhetorical question is, yes, you are worth more. I'm not old enough to do bird watching, but, um, but recently, <laughs> if you know, you know. So... <laughs> But uh, recently with the spring, I did, I did happen, I'm just going to confess it, okay? I happened to notice a stunning cardinal, a bright, just a bright red cardinal in the yard. And it just, I just thought, wow, praise God for that cardinal. And then, then I saw a couple blue jays. And I thought, this is so awesome. I, I don't know where those birds live. It's not like they're in our yard all the time. I, I don't know where they're from. And those birds don't have like, you know, some kind of systematic, you know, like building process or investment fund to like make sure that they, like God just feeds them, takes care of them. He made them to know where to go to look for food and he provides that food for them. And Jesus has a point. He's like, oh, the birds, the birds are taken care of. Don't you think for one minute that God doesn't care about you more than those birds? He does. He cares. Our king cares for us. And so Jesus, he, he leverages that, that analogy from nature. He says, look at those birds. And when you see those birds and, and how healthy they are, he says, you just remember that God cares for me more than that. He's taking care of that bird. And our king cares for me. He'll take care of me. In verse 27, he just helps us to kind of chew on this a little bit. Okay, so we're worth more than the birds. And then he says in verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? The, the assumed answer for this question is no, you cannot. And by the way, literally, literally, it's basically, can any of you add one inch to his height by worrying? And I can confirm that's a no. 
You cannot, you cannot add an inch to your height. It's not about height. It's about lifespan. So CSB is good here on translation. But the point is this. If you're just obsessing over it, right? If you're, if you're in a panic on it, you're just going to freak out about it and worry and think and worry and think and feel and like assume the worst and the what ifs and the negativity. If that's what you're going to do over it, Jesus says, you will not lengthen your life. All that, all that concern, all that mental energy and spiritual energy that we expound worrying about X, Y, or Z says that's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to give you a longer life or, or make your life somehow or, or really make God care more for you. But of course, what Jesus implies in this verse is that God is sovereign over the number of days that you'll live. Frankly, we spend sometimes uh, a lot of time worrying about death. And I just, I just want to encourage you that should the Lord tarry, you will die. And God knows the day, the hour, and the minute of your death. And Jesus says he's trustworthy here. He cares for you more than the birds. And you can't add another minute to your life beyond what God has ordained. You're in good hands. So for the days you have, you're going to waste it worrying? Now, that, that's the first example Jesus gives, and then a little bit of application. And then he gives a second example in verse 28. Same main idea. Our king cares for us. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers wild of the field grow. They don't labor or spin th- uh, thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If you just pause, uh, the place where I grew up in, in Southern California was famous for these massive fields with beautiful wildflowers. And when they were in bloom, the tourists would come from all over Southern California to our town to see these wildflower fields and just how beautiful they were. And they're glorious. Jesus says, if you're worried about how you look, Know that God cares about you more than those flowers. The one that made those beautiful flowers, he made you. He's got you. He says, even Solomon, with all of his, his basically unlimited natural resources financially, he couldn't make himself look better than those wildflowers. And you think by chasing that magazine cover, you're going to somehow scratch the itch? You think just by bulking up, you're going you're gonna to figure it all out? You got to know that God loves you and cares for you, and he made you, and he cares for you more than those wildflowers. I think there's an argument to be made here that Jesus is implying that you are beautiful as God made you. That, that, that you're worthy of his care. Our king cares for us. Verse 30 Jesus drives that point home. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do so much more for you? Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? We have to talk about that very last part, but just note just the the very kind of end there. Won't he do much more for you? The expected answer there is yes. Yes, he will. He's taken care of the flowers in the field. He will take care of you. You're worth more than the grass. You're worth more than the grass that's cut and thrown out and, and dis, you know, d- taken care of, dis- dispersed. You're worth more than that, more than the birds, more than the grass. Our king cares for you. Jesus does tell us not to worry, but he tells us why we shouldn't worry. Because our king cares for us, we are freed from worry. We don't have to give in to it. We don't have to feed it. 
It's just such a beautiful picture that Jesus paints of care. And, and it's right in line with the, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer that we saw at the beginning of the chapter, where Jesus says, listen, your heavenly Father knows what you need. So pray, right? Here he's just reminding you, yeah, not only does your heavenly Father know what you need, but he actually cares about and for you. Ultimately, this is a faith issue. And that's why at the end of verse 30, you have it as a question there, you of little faith, right? I mean, it's, you know, how you read that, what tone you read that in is important, right? Because Jesus is obviously uh, helping us here. So this is not a condemnation, you of little faith, get your act together, figure it out, you know? Jesus is saying, listen, you're struggling with little faith. When you're struggling with anxiety, this is important to hear, when you're struggling with anxiety, fundamentally, that's a faith issue, right? When you're struggling with worry, the ultimate root cause of anxiety is weak faith. And so Jesus calls us here, he calls us to strengthen our faith. To look to him in faith. If you, if you think about that reality, that anxiety is fundamentally a faith issue, when we're anxious... We're, we're doubting God. That's what he means. When you're anxious and your faith is weak, you're, you doubt God. What do we doubt about God? Well, we doubt God's sovereignty over the universe. We doubt that he's driving the bus, right? Or we doubt his power, his ability to manage the universe. When we are anxious, we might doubt his knowledge Maybe he doesn't really know what's going on and all the details. Or my life is too small for, for he, him to care about what I'm facing or what we're going through. Of course, fundamentally there, we're doubting God's goodness. That he may be sovereign and powerful and he may know it all, but does he, is he really good? Can I trust him in his management of the universe? We doubt his promises. These beautiful portions of his word, including Matthew 6 where he talks to us directly about trusting him, about what he'll do for us. You add all that up, basically it means we're doubting God's love for us. That's what anxiety and worry really does to us. It causes us to doubt God's love. Now, I speak as someone with experience with anxiety. Uh, After 9-11, I don't know if you remember, after 9-11, there was uh, another plane crash here. It was in Queens uh, in November. An American Airlines flight went down. And for whatever reason, the combination of 9-11 and that, that particular pl- plane crash in Queens, that just kind of, like, it just nestled into my heart as like, listen, every time you get on a plane, there's a really good chance it's going down, right? And so I didn't struggle with anxiety flying before 9-11 and, and that November crash. But since then, flying has been a real challenge for me. It's just hard to do. And by God's kindness, I have to fly all the time, all the time. And in his, and I'm telling you what, it's not even a joke. But in God's sovereign reign of this universe, I have to get on a plane tonight. <laughs> Saints, I have to get on a plane tonight. And by his grace, I've certainly uh, seen a lot of growth in this area. And my faith has been strengthened. But what happens in our hearts, Right. We doubt God's goodness. Maybe we just get distracted. We're not necessarily thinking God is, you know, ordaining this plane to go down. It's like, no, what if it crashes? What if there's a terrorist attack? What if there's a bird strike? What if, what if, what if? It's like, you just, what if, what if? And then what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 don't worry. Our king cares for us. 
Yes, what if whatever, but God is sovereign. Yes, what if that, but God is good. Yes, what if that, but God loves you. And yes, he may have ordained hard times for you, and he may have ordained this to be your last day. But even if that's the case, don't worry, you of little faith. Trust him. He'll care for you right to the end. That's the message here. Because our king cares for us, we are freed from worry. And I think that terminology is important, that we're freed from worry. You're not shackled to it. You don't have to let it debilitate you. You don't have to let it distract you. Again, you can't control always why you would be nervous, but you can respond in faith to that struggle. And Jesus is saying that's exactly what you need to do here. Now, it's important to note that sometimes physical health problems can exacerbate anxiety. So sometimes there are physical issues you can be facing that can cause you to be more anxious. There's actually a physiological issue. And in those cases, sometimes medication can help alleviate those symptoms and help you to think clearly. But it's important to note that fundamentally, medication for anxiety cannot give you stronger faith. So it may be helpful to you and you may need that medication to help you think clearly and read God's word and and rationally work through the issues. But that medication cannot strengthen your faith. It can't fundamentally solve the root problem, right? I think for so many in our culture, they look to medication as a quick fix for anxiety rather than a means of helping them get to the real issue, which is faith. Am I trusting the Lord? Now, when Jesus gives these two examples, the examples of the birds, they don't, you know, they don't have this, uh, you know, savings system for their food and all this. And the flowers, you know, they're not on the fashion trends or whatever. God just provides for them. Uh, when he gives these two, two examples, you could read those the wrong way and say, see, I don't have to worry about anything. I can just be lazy and irresponsible. Obviously, Jesus is not saying be lazy or be irresponsible. He's not saying you shouldn't save and plan for needs that you'll have in the future. What he's saying is don't let those needs and concerns derail you. Don't let them cause you to go into anxiety and worry. Passages like 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 or 2 Thessalonians 3.10 make it very clear that God's expectation is that while you are on this earth, you should be a productive human being. So you should be working. You should be using your your gifts and your abilities and stewarding them for his glory. Yes, you should save for the needs that you'll have. But when you have needs, don't, don't let anxiety ruin your ability to trust the Lord in the middle of it. Jesus is not endorsing laziness or irresponsibility, but what he is doing is helping us focus on God the Father as our caring provider. Okay, so just to state it point blank, Everything you have, God has given to you. All the financial resources, all the, all the, the, the position in society, education, all of that, he's given to you. And all the stuff you don't have that you wish you had, God has not given to you. It doesn't mean he won't give you something different or more later, but it just means at this moment, God has you right where he wants you and he's given you what you need. Our king cares. I think so often, you know, we might believe that God is king, but we just struggle with the caring part. Does he actually care? And then we struggle with it because of the fear that we have or because of the desires that we have. Of course, we have to recognize that sometimes God doesn't meet a need. There are Christians who have starved or who have been martyred 
And so we recognize sometimes God, again, ordains for our life to end. But even in those most difficult trials, he actually is still caring for us. So many of my friends died in the, uh, in the, the Reformation in England in the 1500s under the reign of Bloody Mary. And we have a lot of records of what they wrote. They wrote letters while they were in prison about to die. So they, their day of, ex- of execution was coming. We have uh, some written records of eyewitnesses who were there when they were actually killed. And what blows my mind about these Christians who faced that really difficult day and who would have said, I prefer not to die being burnt at the stake, right? I prefer not to die that death today. They said, God is so sweet in his care for me. And I don't for one minute regret trusting him even though it's resulting in my untimely death. Their attitude is, what, is, is of calm and even of sometimes of, of ludicrous joy that the world can't understand. How could they be joyful going to a premature death? Well, because our king cares. Our king cares. And he cares for you. Now, where Jesus goes with this he doesn't want to just leave you there. He wants to give you some, some other marching orders. He said, don't worry, but it's not just about not worrying. There's something else that we have to do. So watch verse 31. He kind of summarizes the main point one more time in case we've missed it. By the way, the term worry occurs seven times in Matthew, six times in this paragraph. So this is it. Like just, you know, hear it for what it is, right? Jesus says in verse 31, so don't worry. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear or fill in whatever else you need to fill in there. So don't worry, right? But note what he says in verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, pause. So the Gentiles here, he uses this term to refer to people who don't have faith. That's the idea. These are people that haven't trusted the Lord. They don't trust the Lord. He says, the Gentiles, they are busy Uh, scurrying about, chasing all these things. The food, the clothes, the cars, the houses, right? All the stuff. And they're just chasing it all the time. The verb here, it's intensive. Like, it's not just that they seek after them. They eagerly seek the CSB has. It's good. You're chasing it. But you know what, he says? Our king cares. Your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows that you need these things. So he's got you. Well, then what do we do? Verse 33, a contrast here. But, not like the faithless, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. What things? The things. You know, the things. The things that we're after. The food, the clothes, the the possessions. He says, God's got you. Our king cares. He'll provide what you need. So what should I do then? If I'm not chasing that stuff, what should I chase? <laughs> chase his kingdom. Chase his righteousness. Chase his agenda item for your life. Chase after what God has told you to care for. And God will provide for you what you need. The fact is, he's already providing for you what you need. It's just your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to see that more clearly. There's a, an exchange here, right? Right? We exchanged one set of things we pursue for another set of things we're going to pursue. And we're not going to chase the physical stuff. Instead, we're going to chase the spiritual priorities, his kingdom. Therefore, Jesus says, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Sufficient for the day is the trouble therein. It's old, old King James, I think. But, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus is not saying that your days will be easy. It, by the way, isn't that a relief to know that there's not, like, something wrong with us? Like, because I don't know about you, but, like, it's been a week for us. There's a lot of things going on, right? So it's like, listen, that's, that's normal because we live in a broken world. There's plenty of stuff that we're going to have to deal with. Don't compound navigating a broken world by faith by worrying about all this extra stuff unnecessarily. Like, let's not do that. Don't, don't add to your troubles in that. Look, tomorrow's got enough trouble for itself. Just leave it for there. Trust God tomorrow. Let's deal with today. It's interesting. I wonder if Jesus doesn't have in mind here the idea that we find in Lamentations 3, right? That every morning God's mercies are new. So if there's a morning, you can just know that somewhere God deposited new mercies into your bank account. Like they're there available for you. Because our king cares for us, we're freed from worry. And because our king cares for us, we are freed to pursue his kingdom. We're we're freed to prioritize spiritual health and growth. That doesn't mean that we all quit our jobs and go into full-time Christian ministry. That's not the point. The point is that what we do is we rethink our priorities on a daily basis. How will I go about my my job this week? How will I behave at school? How am I going to handle my free time this week? How am I going to deal with my money? Because our king cares for me, I don't have to fret and worry and have anxiety about the food or the clothes or whatever else. I am freed to pursue his kingdom and to prioritize his kingdom right now. Again, we exchange that passion for material concerns with passion for spiritual concerns. So you might ask the question this morning, what am, I fa- what, am I, what am I chasing? What am I running after, right? Am I chasing money? Am I chasing uh, some kind of career achievement? Am I chasing fashion, possessions, experiences, whatever it might be? And just go, wait a minute, am I chasing them or am I chasing the Lord? Am I pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness and letting him take care of the rest? Or am I only living for the stuff or for what people think of me or for the experience? You know, we're stubborn people and we often, so often just struggle to believe that God loves and cares for us. But here Jesus says, not only do you have to believe it, you have to leverage your decision making every day on that. You have to make decisions every day with the assumption that our king cares for us. This is not the only place in the Bible that teaches us this wonderful truth. We read it earlier together, but I just thought of Romans 8 this week. Specifically, verse 32, after Paul has just, you know, basically is praising God for the the glory of his provision of salvation for us. He says, he did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. He paid the costliest price to rescue us, to redeem us. to, to, yes, pay for our sins and make us his sons and daughters and welcome us into his kingdom. Paul says, how will he not also with him grant us? And then like, the way we read that verse, some things. Like that's how we read 8.32 in Romans. He's going to grant us some things. But by the spirit of God, the apostle Paul didn't write some things. He wrote, how will he not with him grant us everything? Everything. All the things. Right? All the needs we have. He says, listen, you got to understand, he's already paid the big bill, right? As Jesus goes to the cross for us, what do we see? We see God's provision and his care for us. 
Of course, in Matthew, that's where this is all heading. Jesus will go to the cross at the end of the gospel of Matthew, and he does so to establish the fact that his kingdom has indeed arrived by dying for our sins and rising from the dead. He'll be victorious, and all the things he's called us to, he facilitates by his death and resurrection. So in Romans 8, Paul says, well, he already paid the biggest bill. He gave his son for you. You think he's going to hold out on the rest of it? No. With him, with Jesus, the Father gives us everything. We've mentioned it several times in the last few weeks, but Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing. 1 Peter 1, an an eternal inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I mean, all these blessings, you know, we find in God's word that God cares for us and he's provided for us. It's just that he may not give it to you when you want it and how you want it. And when we worry, we doubt the goodness of God. We're saying, no, no, something's more important than his kingdom. It's my kingdom. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to just encourage you that by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in him, that you are forgiven of your sins. But that's not all. You're also blessed with membership in his kingdom. You're blessed with Everything, Paul says. And it does change your priorities and it transforms your perspective on this life, but you will enjoy forever satisfaction and provision because of Jesus. That's what he's given us because of his death and resurrection. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's no other way to get it. So I would encourage you to come to Jesus, not just for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the provision of satisfaction forever. I would love to tell you that God gave me some kind of inside, you know, information on what he's ordained for you and your hardest days are behind you and that your future is just going to be easy, right? But that's probably not the case. Probably in the future, it could be next week or it could be in 25 years, you're going to face some really difficult times. Times that are going to drive you to maybe the most, the most difficult circumstances, the most difficult soul-searching times that you've ever had. And those times might drive you to anxiety, to worry. And again, whether it's next week or two decades, you need to remember that our king cares for us. And because he does, you're freed from worry and you're freed to pursue his kingdom, even in the midst of the hardship. You know, we sang it today. He will hold me fast. He will. Jesus says, believe it. Strengthen your faith and believe it. Trust me, he says. I've got you. Our king cares. Um, Back in 1630, Anne Bradstreet, as an 18-year-old girl, uh, relocated with her family, with her parents and, and siblings, from England to New England, which was a serious downgrade in 1630 if you're up on your historical circumstances. They came from relative comfort, at least enough comfort to be able to afford a semi-luxurious crossing of the Atlantic in 1630. So they arrived in New England, and it was like, it was no bueno. I mean, it was not a good situation. So uh, most people had not survived the winter that year. There was just not a lot going on. There was, uh, she describes uh, going into houses of people there in the, the colony where they were going to live in Massachusetts. And like nobody had tables in their houses because they hadn't been able to build tables. So they didn't have furniture. 
and you know, just thinking, here, here we are. And oh yeah, by the way, we lost some family members this year and we can't build a table. And it was really, really difficult. So they came with like their belongings from England and they actually managed to settle and they kind of, you know, they did okay and, and God blessed the colony. And so they were able to make some progress. And man, they, they missed the, the good times. You know, tea time, you're familiar with this? Uh, Talk to the Aberleys. They'll explain it to you. There's a whole thing about tea time. So, like, they missed that, right? But, but they, were, they were kind of carving out a new existence for them. And she, she grew and aged a little bit. And she got married. And she moved into her own house with her husband and had kids. She was a poet. So a woman of faith, just a, a wonderful person. And a very active uh, poet. And so one night, she's awoken uh, in the middle of the night because the house is on fire. And so they, they couldn't save it. They managed to get everybody out, but the house burns to the ground with all their stuff in it, right? So you can just imagine, you know, the chest that she had brought from her room in England that was there that had been, you know, with her and helped her through those hard times and that burned, right? And all her precious memories that were in there, thousands of books were burned, including many that she had written herself, books of poetry, that that was the only copy and they were burned, right? All this stuff was burned. And again, it wasn't easy. She struggled with it. But that, that actually, that very night, she wrote a poem in response to this trial that she went through. And I, I want to share just a few lines from this poem with you this morning because I think it encapsulates just the heart of faith that Jesus is calling us to here at the end of Matthew 6. Listen to a few of these lines and just consider how it relates to what Jesus has been saying to us. She wrote... She describes coming out after, after the fire. She says, coming out, I beheld a space. The flame had consumed my dwelling place. And when I could no longer look, I blessed his name that gave and took. So she's like, I couldn't even look. I looked, had to look away. But I blessed his name. When by the ruins oft I passed, my sorrowing eyes aside did cast. And here and there the places spy where oft I sat and long did I lie. Here stood that trunk and there that chest. There lay, they lay that store that I counted best, the stuff that I counted the best, my nicest things. Then straight again my heart I chide and did thy wealth on earth abide, she questions. Didst fix thy hope on moldering rust, the arm of flesh didst make thy thrust. Raise up thy thoughts above the sky, that dunghill mists away may fly. She confronts herself on her love of possessions and her worry over, over possessions. She says, did my wealth on earth abide? Is this all I am, my stuff? Then she counsels herself with this glorious truth. Listen, thou hast a house on high erect, Framed by that mighty architect, with glory richly furnished, stands permanent, though this be fled. It's purchased and paid for, too, by him who hath enough to do, a price so vast as is unknown, yet by his gift is made thine own. There's wealth enough, I need no more. Farewell, my pelf, farewell, my store. The world no longer let me love. My hope and treasure lies above. I share that with you, not because Anne had it all figured out, but because she went through something really hard, 
something that would cause us to struggle with anxiety and no doubt caused her to struggle with worry. But her faith reflex was to turn to the Lord and to remind herself of what she knew was true, that her king cared for her. And he had a house built for her that was already paid for, that was provided for her in heaven that she was looking forward to. And so she can say, the world no longer let me love. Don't love this world, right? My hope and my treasure lies above. Dear ones, our king cares for us. So we don't have to worry. Would you pray with me and we'll ask him to help us trust him. Lord, we thank you again for this section of scripture, which we all need as we For whatever reasons, Lord, it's different for all of us. We struggle with worry and anxiety. And I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to see that at its root, anxiety is a faith issue. Lord, strengthen our faith. We ask that you would strengthen our faith. Remind us and convince us of your sovereignty, your power, your knowledge, your goodness. Lord, remind us and convince us of your love, that you care for us, that you love us more than the birds and more than the flowers of the field, more than the grass. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these wonderful truths, and we pray that you would help us. Help us not to to worry about tomorrow, not to be uh, consumed with pursuit of material concerns, but Lord, help us to prioritize your kingdom and your righteousness, living with your agenda And Lord, we ask that as you provide for us, that we would glorify you and praise you for that provision. Protect us from that ignorance where we think that what we have, we've we've, uh, earned for ourselves outside of your provision. And Lord, we ask that you would help us in our hardest days when we're really struggling, Lord. Maybe we've got those sweaty palms or we're struggling to sleep at night. Lord, help us to get out of bed because we trust you. Help us to take steps of faith-driven obedience because we trust you, not because we have all the answers. And Lord, should you tarry and we face that most difficult trial, the trial of death, Lord, we ask that we would glorify you by trusting you in those our hardest days. Lord, we thank you that because of your care for us, we are freed from worry and we are freed to prioritize and pursue your kingdom. So we ask that you would help us to do that Even now as we leave, we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name, amen.